Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hatred hey, Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around town, all around the country, wherever you may be. That's it. And right now is the perfect time to call because we have plenty of time to get your questions answered live this morning. That's right. It's always good to call it the beginning of the sure. show because we've got a lot of time and we start to get into the show and you got breaks that you have to stop so you can't you have to sit on hold while we're going through our breaks and all that sort of stuff of course towards the end of the show you just run out of time that's it and normally about three or four minutes before the end of the show they really can't take any more calls because we got the the final the legalese and all that <laughs> stuff to <laughs> get in there before we get out here last week we were talking a little bit about refrigerant and stuff like uh-huh. that and i think we pretty well covered that topic but we started into talking about some of the systems that they're using nowadays that a lot of people like them but again there are some costs involved and one of them was the lane departure system right that they put on newer cars and a lot of people it makes their driving uh, they feel more secure with it mm-hmm. which that's great if you do but what you have to remember, like everything else that you buy in the world or have installed in the world, is not just you don't just buy something and then you got it. Right. There's a maintenance. There's always cost, a cost to it. A repair cost. I mean, whether you buy a house or whatever, you can live in a, a number of years, but then some stuff's gonna start to break. You have to fix it. Sure. And it's the same thing with this. Not only do you have the system itself, which has to be maintained, but it also can make other things cost more sure because it interacts with all the different systems in the vehicle mm-hmm. let's just take an alignment for instance well when you do an alignment now you have to make sure you reset the learned values of the steering system right because if you don't what we have found is if the steering wheel is off center and you're holding it driving straight mm-hmm. the computer learns that is straight so when you go to do the alignment you straighten the steering wheel up when you set the toe now it thinks, hey, wait a minute. Now it's, it's not, not straight. straight anymore, so it, it starts trying to lead it back to, because to zero. Change. Yeah, it'll because make the car change. actually start pulling. Sure. Even though it's aligned properly, it can start pulling because the steering wheel was, was not, not straight. Realigned. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. We're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got John on the line. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Got a 2011 Lexus ES350. Okay. Having a bit of a problem with the, it could be HVAC, AC, I'm not sure it's it's almost like it's two separate problems, so I'll start with the first one. The first one is is on occasional startups, and that's, that's the key is occasional startups. The AC will get about, you know, 0%, not cool, 100%, great cool. It cools to about 30%, and you drive about a mile or two down the road, mm-hmm. and then it comes in and it gets cool. And that's very erratic, and it only happens on cold start, not after you've cranked it up. Mm-hmm. You know, from when it's been driving. Okay. Now, the other day, we were in it, and we were clicking along, and and the AC was working okay, and we went to pass somebody. I mean, I got on it to pass somebody, and, man, that AC came in, and it was like, I mean, it was probably 10 degrees difference immediately in coolness. It got so much, it got mm-hmm. really cool. Okay. And then it stayed that way. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that when you're in the car and the AC is working, for about after about an hour, you begin to see where the defrost comes out. On the outside of the windshield, you see some frost, you know, some condensate on the outside of the windshield. Mm-hmm. It's not the inside. 
So I don't know if those two problems are tied together or that two separate issues, but I just need some advice. Well, starting with the last one first, when you start getting condensate on the glass, what that is, is just you're not moving enough volume out of the vent so the coal will reach the glass it's hot and humid on the outside so it's going to start to sweat and if you got enough volume of air it'll cool the glass down enough to where it doesn't do it anymore so that connotes a little bit of leakage at that flap valve that controls the frost and all that you don't have it on the frost but a little bit of air is leaking through right. that it's putting enough coal up there to get the glass cool so the condensation in the air on the outside that's a natural phenomenon that's going to just start to do that Unless that really balls you, that's really not a problem for the car. That little bit of leakage at door yeah, right. where the would that be okay? Would that be an issue with the blend door or maybe something in the software? No, I would say it's probably going to be in the door. Probably the seal itself is not as good as it could be. Now on the first problem, and again, this kind of sort of toes back in the other. I tell you one thing I've seen cause that, and I'm not saying this is the problem, but all of those doors under the dash have to go to home position, go halfway, and then go to the other extreme to learn where the center of the travel is. If for any reason the battery voltage drops when you're starting the car, let's say you've got a battery and it's still good enough to crank the car. It puts out right. 10.5 volts, but it doesn't put out quite 12.5 like it should. If you right. have like a loose cable, a bad cable, a corroded cable, or even a slightly weak battery, it can start doing that where it doesn't cool as well because the blend doors don't learn the exact center position. So when it's telling it to be all the way to cold, it's letting a little bit of hot leak in there. And okay. the, the heater is going to win. You know, that that, hot, that heater air is about 200 right. degrees, and the air conditioning air is about 37, 38 degrees, so the heater's going to win. It doesn't take much to heat that air back up. But if it can get cold again, that tells me the AC system's working. There's an AC system. There's nothing in the unit. That's going to not work and then start working. You know, the AC is working, so something's reheating that air. I would get somebody to do an electrical system profile on the car where they check battery for capacity and all that kind of stuff. Make sure that all the cables do like a voltage drop test across the cables. And if you're dropping more than a half volt on any of your cables, alternatively, if you want to just do something yourself, you can take all the cables off, clean them up real good, clamp them down, make sure they're good and tight. On Toyotas and Lexus, you can actually replace little cable ends. Normally, it's got a bolted on end. Sometimes those will stretch. And if you can grab that cable by hand and turn it at all, if you can move it at all with your hand, it's too loose. But now, is there an issue if I do that? Is there an issue in disconnecting the battery? And you're going to lose everything. It? You will right, lose, you're everything lose everything when you do it. So you're the, it's going to run kind the, of funny when you first yeah, crank the, it back up because the idle has, has to relearn home position. Some, right. of, some of the windows, the sunroof has to be relearned so it runs the automatic opening uh, and closings. Now, alternatively, you can put a jumper battery on it right. and preserve your power. That is the ideal way to do it. If you just don't have the wherewithal to do that, if you lose it, it's not like it's gone forever. It's going to relearn. But it is going right. to clear all your registers. probably going to idle rough for a while. You're uh, just going to have to understand that this is going to happen if yeah. you disconnect the battery without a backup. Right. But, I mean, I don't know so what, what your other alternatives are. So, so you, you're not thinking that this could be a potential? Because I've had issues with the sunroof on the car before. We had to take it back to the dealer, and mm-hmm. it was a software deal, and they relearned mm-hmm. it or did yes. whatever they did, yes. and then it, then it closed fine. So right. Do you think that this is a, a software-related issue? I do or not. No, I, it, no. 
Okay. No, there, there would be a bullet okay. to mouth for it if it was. And, I mean, you could certainly have okay. the software reflash. That's a minimal charge. But I doubt very okay. seriously it's going to fix that kind of a problem. That sounds more like a voltage system when the doors are home, and particularly if it doesn't start up. See, when you and come, again, when you come back, it's a cold start. Well, it's cold start, yeah. and that's when the maximum amperage is drawn on your starter now because the engine's cold. Once you start the engine, it's warmed up, the oil's thinner. It turns over a lot easier. It doesn't draw near as much amperage. So if your battery is just somewhere uh, borderline, it can crank that car. Like I said, 10 and a half volts is going to spin the yeah. motor over. Right, but that computer but, that yeah. computer needs 12 to 12 understand. Five, particularly when it's trying to home those doors in, right. which is at startup. Okay. If it has lower than 12 yeah. volts, I'm not saying, saying it has 11. not saying that is it, but I'm just saying that's where I yeah. would start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate the direction. Okay, man. All right, sir. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, back to our phone lines. We've got Bob on the line. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I've got a question in regards to turbo engines. I'm looking for a new vehicle. Okay. And everything out there right now, it seems like they go turbo. A lot of them are. also go CVT transmission. Correct. I'm not happy about either one of them, but mm-hmm. what, what's your interpretation of turbos? Do they get very hot? Is that why they, they recommend changing oil twice as fast as normal? Well, they spin very, very fast, and they are very, very hot, and the oil is the only thing protecting it. Some of those turbos are spinning 10,000 RPM. So you can't let that oil go out as long. And, you know, it's nothing inherently wrong with a turbo except that it's a part that's spinning real fast and, has wear. Has wear. Yeah. You're going to do a lot more maintenance with it. I mean, if your car that you like has a turbo, that's kind of what you're stuck with. I particularly, when I bought my car, I got one without a turbo. I would not want it on there un- unless you like the performance of it. I say it, they are fun to drive. Yeah, they give you a lot more power yeah. with a smaller engine, thus, you know, the the, the demand weight. for them. But, uh, yeah, if you, could, if you could avoid it, you'd be better off. But if you can't, yeah, look, you just have to What's that? I'm looking at Hyundai right now with a turbo. They give you a little more towing capacity, 3,500 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I'm looking at that, but it's hard to find something with decent towing capacity nowadays Yeah, well, without going, in, without going into a big vehicle. Right. Cars are basically designed yeah. at the minimum, man. I mean, they're designed to pull themselves down the road, and that's about it. And I find the towing capacities that they give you are really overrated for what the car can do. I mean, if you're going to throw that car away at 100,000 miles, you might be able to pull 3,500 pounds with it. But I'm going to tell you, I like to buy something at least 20% more than what I'm going to pull. Okay. You know, if, if, if you're going to pull 20, 2,200, I'd get something rated 35. I would not pull rate, the rated capacity because I tell you, it will definitely shorten the life of the car. Well, like I said, everybody's going to CBTs right. and yep. turbos now. Well, it's cheaper. So it's, it's, it's cheaper and helps meet emission standards. You get better gas mileage is what they're well, trying no, to do. Well, no, no, it don't, get, don't get any better gas mileage. It just meets the emission standards because it can keep the engine in a narrow RPM range. They can maximize the emissions for that narrow range, whereas with two gears, three gears, four gears, even ten gears, you're going to have RPM a wider difference. range of RPM, so you can't keep it in that little sweet spot and get the emissions like they want it. And even Toyota's also going to CVT, I see. Uh, some, some of them are, vehicles. some of them not. I've got an 18 Camry. It's got eight-speed in it. Regular transmission, and no turbo. What's their their smaller SUV? What's that called? The uh, uh, Rav Four. Yeah, Rav Four. Mm-hmm. I've driven that car, and it is so it's expensive for what you get. Well, so again, you got you got to, you got to find expensive. You know, you pay more going in than you are with a Hyundai. But when you get ready to sell it, you're gonna get three thousand more when you sell it. So, I mean, it's kind of a relative term. I like Toyota products myself, but. 
Well, you know, you, you got to but... find a vehicle you like. You know, something's going to make you happy. But as far as costs, I think they're probably a cheaper vehicle because in the end, you're going to get way more for it than you are with a Hyundai or a Kia or any of those Korean-built cars. You're going to spend a lot less money along the way. It's just a better-built vehicle, in my opinion, even though you do pay more going in. You know, sometimes the cheapest way yeah. out is the more expensive way in. Yeah, I just wish they made the old Benza again because that, that was the right size for me. Now it's all, you know, seven passenger. I don't need seven passengers, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You don't have much choice with Toyota on that. Yeah, they, I mean, Toyota pretty much owns the market. They're the number one car bill in the world, so they kind of build what the majority of their customers want. But, yeah, they don't have as big a selection. It's kind of like, with me, the, the Tacoma is too small and the Tundra's too big. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, you know, I guess they sell a lot of both of them. The other question I had was the CVT. What do you think about the CVT transmissions? What kind of issues uh, have you come up with in, well, in your servicing? It's, it's basically a throwaway. I mean, you Is put it in a car, you drive it X number of miles, and you have to buy another one. I mean, there's not any rebuilding or anything for them. They don't sell most of the parts for them okay. at all, and if it did, it would cost more than buying another one. It's kind of a throwaway deal. Certainly, you can service them. Some of them have a replaceable filter. Most of them do not, but you can drain the fluid. every. And I would be... If it yeah. was my vehicle and I were towing, I'd be doing that around 30,000 miles. I'd be doing a, a yeah. fluid drain on it. I mean, it's not my favorite design, but, again, it's kind of what we're going to get. You know, we don't mandate what they build. We, we buy what they give us for the most part. And, but there are still a few vehicles out there that have transmission in them. Well, I'm up here in Minnesota. We're having your weather up here right now, hot oh, and humid. Really? Wow. Yeah. I can't. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, be, be glad you're not down here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, we, well, thanks very much for the info. I appreciate it. All right, Bob. All right. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Yep, bye all right, 291-6901 is the number. we got to take a quick little break, but, Mike, if you hold on, we'll be straight up after this break. Die back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevoted supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, Some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools to try to answer any questions you may have, just give us calls, 291-6901. Going back to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Louis and Brian. How are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. Good. Listen, I appreciate you guys a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. I've learned so much. Listen, I got a 2005 Hyundai mm-hmm. 2.7 V6. Following up on an email that Lewis was nice enough to send, I want to tell you what happened and give me some thoughts here. Okay. Same problem happened about a year or two ago where it just became really hard to start, and the only way to start it was with the pedal to the floor, and then I had to really play with the pedal to keep it running mm-hmm. and you know have to rev the RPMs, and finally it would run and start. So this happened, and it ran fine for like a year or two, and I had the same problem again recently. And and then it, 
it wouldn't go over 3,000 RPM. So I did some research. Somebody said clean the mask. And so I cleaned it really good. I didn't touch the sensors. I cleaned it with the right spray, mm -hmm. put it back in, and it was horrible. I, I went back to the starting issues, uh, stalling, sputtering, horrible. I replaced, I, I disconnected the mask to get me home, mm -hmm. got me home. I put a new used one in from the junkyard, mm -hmm. and it ran perfect mm -hmm. for like three days. Mm -hmm. And now it's starting to have problems again. Right. And, oh, by the way, no codes at all. Yeah, see, uh, when you disconnected the sensor, what it did, it goes to default readings. In other words, it, it doesn't have a, a reading for that. So if you got a bad one and you disconnect it, it's going to run better. Now, when you put a used one on, because it was not programmed to that vehicle, it may again go to default readings. And so it's going to run okay for a couple of days until it starts to learn. Once it well, learns... Let me ask you that. Mm -hmm. that. Is that applicable to a 15-year-old vehicle? Oh, yeah. That's everything. Okay, so how do you program it to the vehicle? Well, it's going to learn itself. Some of them do have a procedure that you have to go through and learn. I don't know on that and have to look it up in service data, but it's going to learn on its own once it gets enough reading. See, the mass airflow sensor is just one part of the fuel management system. It's also looking at the air fuel sensors. It's looking at a bunch of different factors. If it's got a MAP sensor, it's looking at the MAP sensor. All those and what it's going to do is the mass airflow is going to tell the computer, okay, it's got this much air coming in, but it's going to look at the O2 sensor and say, nope, that's not right, so it'll override it. So the computer can override mass airflow, and that's what it does when it goes to default setting. So let's say you've got something like a one of your air fuel sensors reading out of range. If you unplug mass airflow, it may run better for a while until it relearns again, but see, the problem is still there. So you haven't confirmed that you got a bad mass airflow. You're just resetting the system by disconnecting it. What you'd have to do is have some type of tooling that can go in and read all of the sensors and see what they're inputting to it. Even something like an exhaust leak where you're getting too much oxygen in the exhaust, it's fooling the air fuel sensor. Something like a restricted exhaust can do that. Even a bad computer that's got bad calculations. I mean, any number of things can do it. The point is you're going to have to have something that can see all these different sensors, see what they're reading to see where the actual problem is because you're assuming it's the mass airflow because when you disconnect, it start running better. But, again, you went to a default reading, so it kind of overrode everything else. So it could be any one of the other factors. That's not the only factor in there. Same thing with connecting one from another car. The fact that it came right back after a couple of days tells me what it's doing is it's just relearning the rhythm and then it starts running bad again. When it's running on default, it can run. It can run better. It's not gonna run perfect, but it can run better than it does with a lost reading or a bad reading. Right. So that makes sense. But yeah. it's normal. You think that there's no codes? Is that weird? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Depends if it sees it as a normal situation and it just sees that it needs more fuel. It sounds like it's probably running rich if you can hold the pedal to the floor and it starts better. Because what's happening, the engine may be flooding. So when you hold the throttle body wide open like that, you see you're just letting more air in. So it can it clears the flood. I would not even be surprised something like a leaking injector could cause that because that's going to vastly skew your fuel-air mixture. It could flood the engine when you turn it off. If it's sitting there dripping into the intake, it could be something like that. And, oh. again, you'd have to have some method to do a fuel pressure leak-down test. I mean, without some tooling and some equipment, you probably, I mean, it's just nowhere to go. You know, I mean, throw another mm -hmm. mass airflow on there, but I just don't think that's going to fix it, man. I, I don't think you got two bad ones in a row. I think yeah. you cleared it out. And, and like I told you in the email, put the old one back on there if you still got it and see if it runs good for a couple of days.
If it does, I, that tells I, you you're in the I, wrong I, area. Yeah, I wish. I threw it in the garbage. Yeah. Know. See, if you had the original yeah. one, you could put it back yeah. on. If it ran good for two days, start running bad again, yeah. then you can pretty much rule out the mass airflow. It's just yeah, that's that covering been, something else up. That would have been smart. Mm-hmm. Okay, man, that's that's great info, uh, Lewis. I appreciate that. While I have you, let me ask one, uh, two more quick things, if sure. I can. Mm-hmm. Why does a car, when you uh, have it in drive and you're parked, run much rougher than when you, when you put it in neutral? Why does it run so much smoother? When well, you it's it loaded. Neutral? You see, you're loading the engine because the torque converter is slipping, but there's a drag there. So it's pulling probably 10 to 15 horsepower to sit there and run. Particularly if you got a small engine like a little four-cylinder, it's just going to slow that, increase the load on the engine so you're going to feel it a lot more. Another thing is that when it's got any load on the motor, the engine's torquing down on those engine mounts. So if the mounts are weak, you're going to feel the vibration a whole lot more. When you kick it in neutral, it just kind of settles back out, takes the load off of it so the mounts can absorb it better. So it's a combination of more load on the engine. The mounts are slightly tweaked, particularly on an older, high-mileage car. You're going to get that kind of stuff. Uh, not necessarily a problem, just kind of the way it is. It's part of getting yeah, old. Yeah, I, I was just curious of why, uh, you know, you explained it. And then mm-hmm. one last thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm bleeding my brakes. I had a really uh, bad pedal. I'm bleeding my brakes. I get fluid going through three out of the four. Really nice, you know, cleared all the bubbles. Mm-hmm. My front passenger, no fluid comes out. I take out the, ble- the bleeder nipple, uh-huh. clean it. It was not clogged at all. Did um, you I op- stick something. Okay. Something in the caliber hole, nothing mm-hmm. in there, no gunk, no rust, but it, no fluids coming out. You think uh, it, how do I test if it's the caliper or the line? Well, what I would do is if you if you get in there and push your pedal, or put some pressure on the brake pedal, and open that bleeder screw, the pedal ought to stay up because no fluid's coming out, right? No, it goes to the floor. I can pump it. No fluid comes out and no pressure. Okay, well, then it's probably full of air. The only other thing you could do is pump it up good, break the screw where it goes, the line goes into the caliper, and if fluid comes out there, then it's got to be something inside the caliper that's that's plugging up. If no fluid comes out there, you go above that line, break the little screw where the steel line goes into the rubber line, and if I got fluid there and none out, then the hose. I mean, it's just a Mm -hmm. process of elimination. On your site, you said about clamping off the line does mm-hmm. that only to do all four at a time or can i test the one well that wouldn't help clamp. you on this because you're not getting any flow out that's if you got a low pedal and i mean you're, you're moving fluid. basically if, if all the other mm. three are bled and you got no pedal it's got to be air in that one caliper well and there's an easy way to, to see that is take a a little bottle and put you some brake fluid in it and a clear hose put it put the hose down in the fluid and hook it to the bleeder screw when you open the bleeder screw and push the pedal down, it ought to blow bubbles in that brake fluid. If it doesn't, then you're not even moving air. And then you have to go back up the line, like Lewis was saying, Mm -hmm. find out where the restriction is. Yeah, it's it's either going to have a restriction or it could possibly be dead on one side of your system. You could have like an ABS valve that's stuck shut. That's kind of rare, but it can happen. Valve can stick shut and block one wheel. So you just have to kind of go upstream until you find it. But I would try breaking that screw at the caliper first between the hose and the caliper and see if you get fluid there. And if not, break it where the line goes into the top of the hose and see if you get mm-hmm. fluid there. If none okay. there, go to the ABS unit, figure out what line comes from that wheel, break the yep. screw right there. If you got no fluid there, most likely it's going to be in the ABS unit mm-hmm. itself. 
Beautiful. We've run across that. I, I had uh, Ford Taurus a while yeah. back that was doing that. And it won't turn the light on. No, did not turn the light on. And I mean, well, no flow at all to one wheel. All right, guys. Well, as always, you've been very helpful. Thank you. All right, man. You're welcome. Thanks for calling, man. All right, man. take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, take our, excuse me, our second quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, and Brian Terry's right, right here by my side, my co-pilot, as you were. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you got any kind of questions or comments, you give us a call. We're going to try to help you out. We appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking just before the phone calls about some of these systems that they put on the cars and all. And, of course, I know we talk about that a lot, but you got to remember there are certain things that are involved with these. And you were mentioning the front end alignment right. and how that's changed in the last few years with lane departure and the radar crews and the collision avoidance and all that. Sure. That all has sensors that tie in to the suspension system and sensors that tell the vehicle when it's moving straight. Some of them have what they call a yaw sensor, which detects side motion. Some of them just have a center line type system. A steering wheel angle sensor. Mm -hmm. Even things like the traction control system. The way it determines that the car is out of control is that it looks at what it assumes is straight ahead. And if the car is not moving in that direction, then it's going to assume it's moving sideways. Well, it looks at the steering wheel angle sensor, like you said. It Mm -hmm. looks at the yaw rate sensor. So... It knows, you know, if the vehicle's driving straight, the yaw rate should read this. If the vehicle's moving sideways, it's going to read something different. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it assumes that the vehicle is not straight anymore, out of, control. out of control. It's sliding, so it starts cycling the ABS, trying to get the, the spinning wheels to line back up to try to get the vehicle back straight right. again. Right, shutting down cylinders on the engine, sure. more power and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, if you go in... And your steering wheel is off center, and it's learned that position. And you go in, and now you correct that steering wheel. You put it at center. Well, the only thing the computer's going to know is that it's got 10,000 samples saying that this is center, and it's got 100 samples saying this is what you're saying is center. Mm -hmm. It's going to know something's wrong. Right, and it will actually try to straighten the vehicle up to what it thinks is straight. What it thinks is correct. And it will cause a pull. We've we've been running across that here lately a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Vehicle comes in, and it's pulling to the left or pulling to the right. We go through, check the tires, check the numbers on the alignment, make sure everything's not, nothing's loose and all that. Then you have to remember, hey, this thing has lane departure. We need to go in and relearn all of the learned value. Right, you have and to, relearn you have the to clear, clear all that data and then relearn it. In some cases, you have to reprogram the cameras and all that because that's how it knows 
when you're getting close to the lane. It's looking at those lines on the side of the road mm-hmm. on either side. And by looking at those lines, it knows where the lane is. And then it looks at the way you're traveling. It sees the road is turning. So if the car is not following that turn, it knows the problem. Right. And that's when it's going to go off. Now, if it looks down, it does not see the lines. It will even shut that system down temporarily. Like if you get on a road that's not marked. Right. Just say a blacktop road without the lines, the lines will disappear and it'll, it'll shut that system down because it knows. But if it looks and it sees a line, but the line is not where it expects it to be, now it tries it to make the correction to get the vehicle back where it's spo- where it thinks it's supposed to be, and you end up with all kinds of little things. We did a Yukon the other day, mm-hmm. and the lady that owned the Yukon did some great investigative work for me. She noticed that when the lane departure system was on, it drove straight, mm-hmm. but when she turned the lane departure off, it pulled to the left. Okay, well that was a red flag right there. Hey, we need to check the lane departure system, and sure enough, the angle for the steering wheel sensor was off and the learn values were off. So we had to go in and clear those values and then relearn them in the correct position, took the alignment out. Well, and the thing is that can take longer than setting the alignment itself. Sure. So it's an extra step now. Well, the cost of your alignment just went from the old 79, 89, 99, pick a number sure. up to probably twice or two and a half times that because not only does it take a lot more time, it takes a lot more equipment and tooling. Well, and not only that, but you have, some people that don't know this system yet don't know how to work on it so you may get frustrated you know you keep taking it back you keep taking it back they say well look we can't fix it we we don't know what's wrong with it Mm -hmm. you're just in the wrong place right so it's new technology coming out yep let's go to our phone lines again we've got mark on the line good morning mark good morning gentlemen i was just listening to uh, last week's show and the guy called and asked if a uh, aftermarket air intake would help with the flooding situation Mm -hmm. or at least have less risk for his low car. He had an ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you said, no, no, it's even worse. And uh, I'm listening to it. And because I it did just that, in fact, I'm the one with the silver star mm-hmm. there and had a motor put in a couple weeks ago. Right. There. Great job on that, by the way. But, yes, I mean, I did it strictly for that reason. And I thought it was a sound idea. I didn't do it for performance. I just wanted right. the breathing point to be higher off the ground. And y'all said it wasn't good. I wanted to maybe go into that further. Like what? Yeah, they're just know. not shielded nearly as well. It's pretty much open because it's designed for performance to allow more air to flow. But uh-huh. they are, I've never seen one that was shielded better. Now, they do make a system like goes on these four-wheel drive trucks and all where it moves the whole intake up on top of the windshield and, I mean, if you got a yeah. Land Cruiser, that's one thing, but not many people are going to drive a car with a big snorkel. With a big snorkel. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just not practical. Something like that might would help, but, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, ridiculous. You, you can go so far overboard with anything. But just the fresh air intakes and the aftermarket intakes are very rarely, if ever, shielded as well as the OEM models are. And most of them don't have the reservoir in case they do get air in yeah. uh, water in them. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the regular OEM part generally has some baffles in there, and then there's like a reservoir where if water mm-hmm. gets past the baffles, it can fill this little reservoir up. Now, if you get enough water, it's going to overflow the reservoir, sure. and it's going in. That's it. But that's a feature well, they don't have one, so much in the aftermarket stuff. Well, this particular one I got here, it, it, if you're looking at the ducted port mm-hmm. in the fender well, mm-hmm. there's at least another six inches of air open space, actually, between the cone filter and that port. So I was just thinking in terms of if I'm trapped somewhere and i got to go through about, you know, eight inches of water, you know, at least I'll have the peace of mind of knowing 
there's no way it's going to make its way up into this breather, at least with this particular setup that I've got. So, well, I mean, but then again, you got an opening at the bottom yeah. where where it's running out was also open. It can suck it in right there. Well, I, I guess. I mean, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it's not a tight seal though around it. Yeah, I mean, the, well, it's not. It's not a submarine. I yeah. mean, it's not designed to be run on yeah. water. I mean, the, the OEM and, when they build this thing, they test it, they test it, they test it, they run them through water, they do all yeah. this stuff, and they design something to do the. Within limits. I mean, they could do a better job if they wanted to. They just yeah. don't have the incentive to do it. But when you go with an aftermarket part, it's generally going to be skewed to performance. It's not going to do as yeah. good a job even as the original one did, and which wasn't right. great. I mean, I guess somebody could build a higher sure. point. That, sure. I've never seen one marketed as, hey, this will let you drive through higher water. They're not. They'd always It's always good yeah. to performance, you know? And yeah. and generally they're not tested that well, and they're just. I find you way better off with the original than you would be with any kind of aftermarket parts you can put on there. Well, and I agree totally, except with this example. Because there's mm-hmm. going to be a day, yeah. you know, where I'm well, at work and you I'm try and see. <laughs> by a flash flood. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, you got to remember yeah. too that the transmission's not that high, much higher than the air filter right. is. So yeah, the vent for transmission is yeah. also down there, and I so mean, is the differential and all the right. other stuff. So yeah, you just and the vent too for the transmission is. On top, generally? Yeah, it's going to yeah. be on top somewhere, depending on what kind of transmission you got. And see, the problem okay. is, as you drive through high water, the front bumper is hitting that water, and it's pushing a big wave ahead of the car, but it's uh-huh. also surging up behind there. So the water that's flushing over the top of your motor is much higher than the water you're running through. And uh-huh. then, of course, if you got some moron comes flying by you and produces another wake, well, then you got water coming in through the side as well. So it's it's just not made to do that. It's not going to do it. I mean, they do make high-water vehicles that are better at it. But And, again, like we talked about last week, you got to remember the car companies, they want the car to last and hold up pretty good. And they want you to be happy with it. Be happy with it. But they're not going to waste a whole lot of effort trying to make it do something that it wasn't designed to do. Yeah. Well, and I've learned that the hard way. Down here in Louisiana. It's just That's it. it happened. Well, you're on engine two dot right now, so <laughs> Yes, sir. I am. I am. Y'all did a great job by the way and well, uh, good. appreciate everything and, and love the show as usual. Of course, uh, have a good one. All right, Mark. Thanks, Carl, man. two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. You're going to part of all the motor power. We'd love to have you. And I know that a lot of times when something happens. It's inviting to try to put something back better or whatever, mm-hmm. but so so often we actually make the situation sure. worse. And you got to remember, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cars going down the road every day and not having not a that, problem. Exactly. So it's a lot easier and a lot more sound to try to change the behavior than it is to try to change the car. The engineering, yeah, into something that just wasn't designed to be. Let's see if we can catch one more right. call for our break. Jimmy, go ahead. You make it quick. Yeah, I tried to. Uh, I checked my coolant level the other day on my Xterra. Uh-huh. Engine was cool. I checked. I pulled the radiator cap off, and I couldn't see any, any coolant in it. Okay. The reservoir was showing a decent level in the reservoir. Mm-hmm. I didn't add anything to the radiator. Cranked it up and warmed it up. I was servicing it. I got the engine warm and everything. I checked it again, and it was coolant. Yeah. Way up into the well, yeah, it's going to expand and contract, but what's happening is you're losing your vacuum that makes that reservoir work. That's what work. I'm thinking. I'm thinking right. I have problems with the holes or the, or the reservoir water. Could, could be the cap. The right well, it could be the cap because the cap's got a top seal, and if it leaks air around that seal, it's not going to draw from the reservoir. It just draws air in around the, that top seal. I would first right. look at the cap and make sure it doesn't have either a hard, hard seal on it or a crack seal or a dry seal. If not, look and make sure you got a clamp and make sure that hose hadn't gotten hard. 
because I think what you're doing is you're losing your vacuum. And so the radiator is going to rise and fall as it heats and cools. But right. if it can't draw from there, and if it can get air from somewhere else, it's going to draw around it. And so right. the reservoir is not going to go down. Okay, thank you. All right, Jim. Thanks, man. All right, we've got to take our third quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Kevin, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. And we're going back to our phone lines with Kevin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, guys. It's good to hear from you this morning. Well, thank you. Good morning. Hey, I had a question for you regarding my Audi A4, but it should apply to just about any car. I noticed possibly whoever owned it before, whenever they probably pressure washed the front of the car, they folded over a lot of the fins mm. on the front yeah. air conditioner. Yep. Yeah, the And I bought a fin straightening tool, mm-hmm. and Lacombe. I actually used it here on my, I have an inside uh, air conditioner unit, like a wall-mounted in air conditioner unit. Mm-hmm. And I was able to straighten out a lot of those here. And I was trying to figure out, it looks like I'm going to have to take the whole front bumper, the whole front Yeah, probably the grill and everything would have to come that. out. But the question I had is, how much of a difference can that really make, especially for you guys down there yeah. in West Virginia? You know, it, it's not a – well, it is hot. It's about 85 degrees. It makes, makes considerable today. difference because if you don't get enough airflow through there, I mean, even just dust and normal accumulation reduces we'll the efficiency of your condenser quite a bit. And you got yeah. an older condenser that's going to have a bunch of dust and debris and stuff in there, and then you fold a bunch of those fins over. You know, you might mm-hmm. just check, Kevin, on the price of a replacement condenser. Okay. Some of those aftermarket are just as good as the OEM, and they're relatively inexpensive. Okay. We, we've got a couple brands that we bought that we've had good luck with, and they're 180 190 bucks for a brand-new condenser. And wow. I tell you, if that condenser is old anyway and you got to remove it, to straighten it and you have to recharge the system anyway you might be as well served just to go ahead and replace it i change condensers a lot generally anytime we do any kind of major work on the system we always change the condenser well and it's going to be some of those fins you're just not going to be able to get straight right yeah you're going to you're going to reduce the airflow through it even if you can get 90 percent of them straight the bad thing is that's so 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 thin metal and so light if you just happen to pull one a little bit too much you pull it loose now you got a leak i mean yeah they're they're (laughs) They don't like to be straightened anyway, and it's kind of hard to do. But I would probably look at a replacement if you had to take – I mean, if you could do it on the car, that's one thing. You could save right. the cost of having to recharge sure. and all that. But if you have to take it out anyway to really do a good job, I mean, I don't think 
it would really be cost effective. If I'm gonna go that far, I just go ahead and put another condenser in it and and be done okay. with it. And and I think you'll you'll extend the life of your air conditioning considerably. More more well, more way I'm, more than the condenser is gonna cost you. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering because I if I remember correctly, I used to work on some rooftop air units at mm-hmm. a previous employer. And from what I understand, if you if that fluid can't evaporate It'll actually send slugs back to the compressor. You can cause compressor damage. You can yeah. um, if that is not, you know, flashing that back into a gas. Well, that would be on your evaporator side. This is on the condensers. You're actually condensing. Okay. You're going from a gas, a high pressure gas, okay. to liquid. Mm-hmm. But the same thing. It has to give off that heat, and the way it gives off the heat is by flowing air across it and cooling it down. So if it can't mm-hmm. give off heat, the high side pressure is going sky high, which definitely strains okay. the compressor. And, I mean, you could take the compressor out pretty easily with a bad cooling fan or a restricted condenser. I mean, I like changing condensers a lot. It's just one of the better things you can do on the car. If, if any kind of sure. damage on them, I, I usually recommend a condenser. And usually by that well, kind of mileage, they've got rock chips and flat fins and, you know, yeah. damage to them oh, anyway. Yeah. So. Well, I've got 192,000 miles on yeah. right now, so it's 2008. It's probably due, and I'm I'm actually surprised. The air conditioner seems to work pretty well. That's even, good. You know, Wonderful. at this age, and I've never touched it. Now, so is the is the filter dryer out. built into the condenser on this one? That I do not know. A lot of them nowadays, the filter dryer is part of the condenser, so you're getting a new filter dryer too, which is also a good idea to change every so often. So, oh, okay. You know, just check the. Almost all the newer cars, the filter dryers made on the condenser is all one unit. Okay. So, and uh, do you have one more second there, guys? Yeah, go ahead. Just wanted to let you know, Dad and I kind of took a trip up to Ohio, uh, okay. to Dayton, Ohio. It's about mm-hmm. five hour drive from mm-hmm. here. And since it was only two of us, we said, well, let's just take the Corvette up on a trip there. 30.2 miles per gallon. Wow. Doing the speed limit the whole way up yeah. and back. Wonderful. It's yeah. unreal. I don't think those Corvettes have displacement on demand. I don't think. I'm not it sure. It has a 6.2 uh, liter. Yeah, I'm not but sure. I tell you, to have a 6.2 liter V8 mm-hmm. to get 30 miles per gallon, oh, yeah. up to 32 in areas we are seeing, and all the power you would ever need, oh, yeah. 430 horsepower, and you can still, we had his wheelchair in the back of the car, and mm-hmm. I just thought, man, this is amazing. I have to give Chevy credit. Yeah, as long That's as you stay out of it, they, they get pretty good miles. Yeah. I mean, it really does. Yeah, it's just unreal. Well, so, guys, thank you so much. Appreciate your help today. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. All right, thank Kevin. you, man. Same to you, man. All right, see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. I'll say we're just about out of time. Probably don't have time to catch another call, but we've got a couple more minutes left. Yeah, that, that's always been my problem. I never could stay out of them long enough. You know, <laughs> something with that kind of horsepower, it just fuel economy wasn't a big concern at well, that point. Well, you know, I had that old 55 Chevrolet, and I had built a stroker motor for it, which was 350 stroker, 383 cubic inches. Right. Big four-barrel on and all that. And I had 370 rear-end gears in it, but if I could stay out of it, if I could drive it 65, 70, I could get all close to 30 miles a gallon out of that car. Really? Just because it was so efficient, it made enough power. Now, when you push foot in oh, it, yeah. you know, that it drops like about a funnel. 12 or 13. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you can get a lot of performance, and you can get some pretty decent mileage, particularly if you don't want both of them at the same time. Sure. You kind of get one or the other. But those cars, as long as you are... Like I said, just stay out of them, drive right. at a reasonable rate. They can get pretty, because they make a lot of power. Oh, yeah. Power's what's pushing the car down the road. Well, and that little car streamlined, too. I very, mean, very aerodynamic. So, yeah, it, yeah it, it's not going to waste a lot of fuel. It's not uh, like that old 80s pickup truck with the flat front end that got 12 miles to the gallon, whether it had 2,000 pounds in the back <laughs> or not. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. 
But, yeah, yeah, they, you can get pretty decent mileage. And I find most of the cars today get pretty oh, decent yeah. mileage out of them. They the, do. The big SUVs and all, not so much because they're a lot heavier and a lot boxier. Yeah, uh, but even that, they get better than they used to get. Oh, yeah, they get a lot better so, than they used to. And the little cars get really, oh, yeah. really good mileage. I mean, like that's like a little Camry I got. 40, 43? 40 to 43, depending yeah. on how I'm driving it. If I'm on flat ground, I can get up 43 to 44. Mm-hmm. If I get in the mountains a little bit, like go up to Tennessee, right. it'll drop down a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just super-duper mileage. I mean, really kind of surprising. Yeah. And it's got all the power you want. I mean, it'll run 70 miles an hour all day long. and a little peppy. Don't take it long to get up to it either. Yeah. Yeah, I see we're just about out of time. Get ready to start winding on up. Get ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. That's real important to us because, number one, if people go in, they type a generic term like auto repair. What's going to happen is it's going to look at all the ratings, and the shows with the higher ratings are, are going to be get, on top. Yeah, they're going to come out first, so people are more likely to click on those shows. But secondarily, and maybe more important to you and I, it lets us know we're doing a good job. makes us feel good about what we're doing. Exactly. Because, you know, you don't get paid to do this, but uh, <laughs> even though we do enjoy it, it's always nice to hear. A, you did a good job. Did a good job. Yeah, yeah. A little attaboy every now and then. Hey, preceding was opinion, based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.